Rugby Coach Weekly Podcasts presents Coaching Laid Bare with Lisa Bird Burgess and LJ Lewis. Hello and welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. Um, this week we're delighted to welcome Aileen Richards, who I'll in- invite to speak in a minute. But at the moment, LJ, I can see you sat there in your bedroom. How are you doing? Hey, Bird. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, not too bad. Just uh, survived another emotional roller coaster of a week based on our our fixtures and everything that's going on at the minute. But yeah, good. How are you doing, Bird? Yeah, really good. Thanks. It was um yeah, it's been a bit of a bit of a week, hasn't it, in terms of rugby? Yeah. But um some, yeah. you know, with the World Cup being postponed, you know, we've heard that news for some of the players, which was um yeah. devastating for those players. But in the grand scheme of things, t- totally see the bigger picture there. But yeah. um yeah, I'm sure we'll come on to talk talk that. But um and how's how's little Patrick this week? Yeah, he's good. Just uh, getting crazier as the weeks go on. He's, yeah, he, luckily we can still keep him at nursery, uh, but I'm very much looking forward to being able to get out and about very soon to like museums and stuff like that. So yeah, but we're all good here. Excellent. Uh, good. Very excited for our podcast today. Hey, Bird. I know. Really looking forward to talking to Aileen. And so that brings me Aileen, I can see you there. How, how are you, Aileen? Well, welcome to the podcast. Great. Like, great to see you both. I'm very good. Thanks. And, and thank you so much for coming on, Aileen. We're, we're really excited to talk to you. And, and guys that are listening out there, just to give you a, a little bit of a background on Aileen, Aileen Richards. So Aileen was a is, sorry, is a non-executive director of the WRU. Um, she was a senior executive with Mars Incorporated until 2015. And as executive vice president of Mars, she was responsible for the human resources strategy for the company's 85,000 employees. And she also led Mars Global Services, Mars IT, Mars Financial Services and Mars Associate Services. In her 30 years with Mars, she also held senior international roles in procurement and manufacturing and has lived in Washington DC and Brussels. Wow, how about that, just for an introduction. So Aileen is currently an independent non-executive director on several boards, including, including Mars Nederland, Jacob Dowie Egberts, Preta Manager, I hope you like the way I pronounce that, and the Welsh <laughs> National Opera. She was also yeah, the first... That was a bit challenging on your Dutch and your French there, wasn't it? <laughs> I think we might have to correct that, Aileen, in a minute. She was also the first woman on the board of directors for the Welsh Rugby Union and chairs the board of the new cricket team Welsh Fire, which, we, which we're also going to chat more about. Um, Aileen has been a Welsh rugby fan for over 50 years. She owns two Welsh debentures and has travelled to many World Cups and has a husband and two children, all of whom played rugby Aileen welcome to the pod we cannot wait to get started and what an amazing inspirational woman you are and we're delighted to have you on the pod thanks for inviting me and no it's really lovely to be here thank you for thank you for asking me to join you okay um so Al you're gonna you're gonna start off yeah hi hi Aileen really great to meet you um into it we've got loads of questions we want to ask you and I know myself and Bird will probably go off on a tangent as well um but we yeah we definitely (laughs) will don't worry um but just to start us off uh just kind of going all the way back to the start for you growing up um you know what were your thoughts on on a career um and kind of were there any female role models that maybe influenced you on your journey to to start in you know the fantastic career that you've had yeah thanks yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it may be the case often with girls. I think my mum was my main 
female role model. And that was because she worked, she trained to be a doctor in the, during the Second World War, which was still quite unusual then. You know, there were female doctors, but they weren't that common. And she then worked all her life. And I think, so it was very common in our house as a female that you you worked and that you had a career. So I think that she was a very important role model. And also I went to an all girls school and I think if you go to an all girls school, there's some pretty bad things about that. But I think the <laughs> teachers there have to be very aspirational for the girls because they haven't got anybody else to work with. And so they set very aspirational standards for us and expectations in terms of having a job, having a career, being independent. So I think those, when I look back, I think those are the main the main forces that influenced me to, you know, forge a, forge a career. And did they, um, <clears throat> thinking about you being in an all-girls school, did they, were they trying to push you in one direction or were they very kind of, you know, um, open to whatever you wanted to be? Like very like, you know, you can be what you want or did they try and push you in a direction? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it was, I think they largely pushed us a bit in the academic direction, so they they had an expectation you go to university, but within that they weren't very pushy. I think it was more, you know, they expected people to earn their own living, have a job, that yeah. kind of thing to fulfil your potential, whether that was in any particular career actually. So I, I, I never felt pushed by the school, but I did feel that questions were asked of us in terms of going and finding a career that we could, you know, lead our lives through. And in in that um, in that kind of in that moment of being pushed academically, what kind of what was like inspiring you? What did you think? You know, I really you know your mum was a doctor. Was it ever that, or what kind of made you think I want to go here, want to go there? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it was sort of negative negative inspiration because both my parents were doctors, which quick quickly led me to conclude I definitely didn't want to do that because it was far too much like hard work. <laughs> and so and all, the rest of my family were farmers and I thought well I don't not particularly want to do that and actually I ended up going to business I think because I did a lot of holiday jobs like a lot of people did I worked yeah. in hotels and cafes and that, that kind of thing and I thought oh I quite like this working with people and solving problems and having a lot of variety in my job and that kind of thing so I I think it was but it wasn't a great plan Actually, I was ne I've never been one of the people who's had this great life plan that I've gone and then followed. People, I think, sometimes are disappointed when they ask me, well, what was your life plan? I say, well, my life plan was just to, you know, live every day and have some fun, basically. And um, yeah. so you know, that's that, a great that's, that's a great motto. Live every day and have yeah. some fun. <laughs> yeah. I haven't always succeeded on that, but I've, <laughs> I've always tried for every day. It's, it's interesting you say about um, that expectation because my my mum is a nurse and all of my family always or, or anyone that my mum worked with whenever I went into work with her they'd always be like you're going to be a nurse like your mum and I always used to be like no <laughs> like, straight away, I, was like not. I definitely don't want to be a nurse <laughs> and, um, and then I always got um because my grandparents um they are Irish and there there was a thing around you either became a nurse or you kept, went into education and they always were like so you'll be a teacher and I was like yeah. No. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can was hear quite lucky you. with my parents because actually, if you talk to most people who've got both parents as doctors, there's a yeah. huge amount of pressure to become a doctor in many families. And actually, my parents yeah. said you can do whatever you want, 
And I didn't realize at the time. Now I have kids of my own. I'm always like, oh, you've got to succeed or you've got to do this or you've got to work hard. I didn't realize quite what a gift it was that my parents were giving me at that stage, that freedom to be what I wanted to be and to trust me to follow the path that was right for me. And actually, I think it's a great gift you can give to somebody that. Yeah. And then just kind of moving away maybe from your career, and obviously you've got um, a massive interest in rugby, you know, following not only being on the boards now, but, you know, following rugby as a fan, you're like birds mentioned your husband and children all played it. So what kind of, when did rugby come into your life? At what point, where, where did rugby come in? Well, I grew up in Cardiff, so I was sort of born into it. <laughs> so it's the answer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's no, it's not a choice, is it? It's in your, in your, yeah. your DNA. And my, my earliest sporting memory is my dad taking me along to Cardiff Arms Park and watching rugby, rugby games and being a fan. And when I was, I, when I went to this girls' school I went to was in England and it was a boarding school. And most of the, t- or not most, all, all the teenage girls there had zero interest in rugby. I mean, not, not any particular team. They weren't interested in England either. And I've got this memory of myself aged about 11, sitting at the weekend in front of the TV, which was one of those really old fashioned sort of deep TVs, you know, not, not a blurry picture. This was back in the 70s. And being the only person sitting there on my own watching the rugby yeah. because nobody else was remotely interested. And so I was a, I was a bit of a sort of geeky kind of fan even then, but I guess it's in my blood and in my DNA because of my my upbringing. That's the great gift of coming from Wales. There's no choice. <laughs> and can I just come in there, Aileen? If you um, you know, being involved in rugby and knowing so much about rugby, what position do you think you would have played if you'd have if you'd have had the chance to play rugby? It's still, you still a chance, uh, by the way. If you still want to play, it's always <laughs> always come along. Yeah, well, that's right. In these age grades now, I mean, absolutely <laughs> walking rugby. There's people over eighty, and I'm yeah. not quite in that age bracket. <laughs> long, long way to go. I'm nearly there. I think well, my, my husband, my husband played for over fifty years, and the reason he managed to play for over fifty years because he played on the wing for most of it and tried to keep out of trouble <laughs> until he had to move to the move to the centre because he wasn't fast enough. And I think I'd have definitely been in the backs because I haven't got the build to be in the forwards. And when my game was lacrosse and, and the equivalent in lacrosse, I, I played in the, on the wing equivalent in lacrosse. So I suspect I'd have played on the, played on the wing, but I'd I, never, just, I wouldn't have been fast enough. I can see you on the wing. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Unlike Elja and myself, of course, who are big forwards no. and we love the forwards. <laughs> I yeah, got well, zero, zero pace, zero uh, pace. You're, you're the brave ones who can, I, I don't think, I, I've got a pretty low pain threshold, I think, so I'm not sure I'd have been good in some of those dust-ups. I'd have been running fast to avoid them and hopefully with the ball in my hands sometimes. So, <laughs> I love that. And um, go on, I mean, your career is amazing, Aileen. And just, you know, just touching on that, on, you know, what, what kind of um, exploring about your career, but what's the most memorable event in your career as a whole? Could you just pick one or is there, or is there a couple? I'm sure there are. Well, for me, actually, funnily enough, I mean, I've done a gazillion things and I've travelled all over the world and I've met all sorts of amazing people. But actually, in my career, it's always the little things that I remember. I And I'll tell a little story. I was travelling. I used to travel all the time. We might come back to that because it's one of the sacrifices and choices I made for my career. And I was arrived back very late one Friday evening into Heathrow and Mars used a 
taxi company who used to pick us up and take us home at the end of a long week. And I, there was a new taxi driver. So you, you got to know most of the taxi drivers. And there was a new one. I hadn't met her before. And I said, oh, hi, my name's Aileen. We haven't met before. You must be new. And she said, oh, I've heard about you. And I thought, oh, God, <laughs> it's never a good start, is it, when somebody says that? And she said, yeah, I've heard, I've heard people talk about you. And I said, oh, no, what did they say? And they said, oh, they said, you're the person who goes around your department every morning. And I was already very senior by this time, who goes around your department every morning and says good morning to everybody who works for you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like a really silly story, but when I think about a memorable event, it's things like that. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a reminder to me that actually what's important in careers is not about the job title you've had or how much money you've earned, or it's actually about the influence you've had on people, the influence people have had on you and the difference you've been able to make. And I'm, you know, it's the same with you. You've both been massively successful in your fields of work too. And I'm sure a lot of what you remember is those little moments when you realize you've touched people's lives for the better without even realizing you were doing it. And so in a, in a funny sort of way, it's those little, little things that are memorable. The only other one is actually when I was appointed to the, we'll, I expect we'll come back and talk more about the board of the Welsh Rugby Union but it was pretty memorable when I was appointed to the board of the Welsh Rugby Union because I mean I'd had you know, I'm, I could try to be a humble person because I am I, but I'd had a pretty phenomenally successful career which nobody had ever in my whole life or family or friends ever acknowledged or given me any credit for which was fine well I didn't deserve it suddenly I was appointed to the board of Welsh Rugby Union at Everybody I knew was like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, people wanting to put me on TV and radio and interviews and stuff. And I'm like, hang on, what have I been doing for the last 30 years so in, that, um, in that respect? So that was pretty memorable for that reason, too. I suddenly, it was like, yeah, there's something different here. I mean, I knew there was, but it was a really big moment. I was like, wow. This is a this is a different world you're moving into, Aileen. All of a sudden, so it made that pretty memorable, to be honest. Well, they're two they're two fantastic stories, and I suppose it goes back as well to your kind of upbringing and that sense of you know humbleness, if you like, and just um, your parents just you know allowing you to develop and grow, but never forgetting you know like a bit like rugby's values as well of respect, you know, integrity, and just making sure you know um, that we really follow those values throughout our life because it serves you well as as you're a great um, person to demonstrate that and you know saying absolutely, hello to someone. and that's why I was really happy for my kids to play rugby and and I know some kids are some parents are more reticent because actually the code of values yeah I mean the the biggest thing you can give your kids and you know it's not easy as LJ knows bringing up kids yeah. but the biggest thing you can give them and mine are in their 20s now and you can see it as if you've passed your values on to them and it's yeah. a thing you can be proudest of and actually you know and and allowed them access to good values and, and sport in general, but rugby in particular is such a such a fantastic source of those. I, you know, it really is. Yeah, I can't. I, I I completely agree with you. And you know, and having those principles in your life helps guide you as a person. You know, for hard work as well, but also treating people as you want to be treated. And it all stems with those rugby values. You know, clapping each other off the pitch. You know, celebrating success. Absolutely, fair play, respecting the referee. Hundred yeah, percent. You know, yeah, and being a good loser. Yeah. And, and, and being able to yeah. accept that, you know, sometimes LJ struggles with that one, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's still um, a bit raw there, all right? Okay, she, okay. she didn't mention that to me earlier, Elsie, by the way. That wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't a setup. Yeah. Um, you know, but, again, yeah. just touching on that um, thing about, you know, you were saying about the saying hello to people every morning and just thinking about that for, like, me and Bird in our roles, coaching you know, sometimes we have to have really tough conversations with players, you know, especially around selection or if maybe they're not performing very well or um, if something culturally is not going right. Um, do you think having like a good, like you say, um, having a positive influence on the person when you have to have like that challenging conversation makes it a little bit easier for you or do you, like, do you think that helps? Yeah, I, I think it it can make it easier and harder, actually, in a, in a sense. I think it makes it easier because you've got much more insight in how to approach it because you're yeah. not approaching everybody the same. You're approaching people and thinking, I know how this person's going to react so I can use yeah. the best, best method that's going to make it easiest for them and to make the softest landing for yeah. them in that respect. I think the hard bit, of course, is that finding that line between building a good relationship and sort of almost being over friendly or over familiar is, is really a, a lesson of experience that you have to learn yeah. and you have to be able to and you know you you guys have to do that and I have to do that too is you've got to get that line right you know in, in terms of familiarity and when you see that when people cross that line that it becomes very hard then to give those tough messages in in, in yeah. the right way yeah yeah Definitely. I just want to explore a little bit, Aileen, with your, um, you've touched a little bit on your life experiences. You know, we just got a little background on, on how you were growing up and everything. But um, I want to know a little bit more about you as a person and um, kind of what, what kind of life experiences provided you the skills. You know, you progressed to the role of senior exec at Mars. I mean, that's just phenomenal in itself. How, how did you get there and, and kind of what led to that? Um, that kind of progression and the life life experiences that helped you to get there. Yeah, and it's you know it's hard to unpack these things sometimes, aren't they? Because there's so many different influences over over a long time. But I think I think the first thing, I mean, I've talked about my upbringing. My parents, my parents brought me up to be very independent. Brought all of us up to be. We moved around a lot. Lived in different countries. I went to seven schools before I got to secondary school. And I think my ability, therefore, to handle change, and in the end, being successful anywhere in life is about handling change well, isn't it? And so I think that really helped, actually, having had to do a lot of different things as I grew up and being given a lot of responsibility by my parents um, helped. I think also I was fortunate that I'm a very curious person. And, and I think, you know, that really helps in having a a career or in, in being successful in life and I think also in being happy actually because if you can always want to try something new do something different think oh god that sounds really interesting and I don't know you so well LJ but I know you Lisa you're just like that it's like oh wow that sounds interesting yeah. you know not yeah. gosh that's scary or I don't know how to do that but and so I think you know that has always been something people would say to me well why don't you move from working in human resources to working in manufacturing I'm like, I have no experience in that. But I think, well, why not? Let's give it a go. What's, what's the worst? I've always lived my life by what's the worst that could happen. Yeah. And actually, if the worst that could happen is manageable, which it almost always is, then I'm like, well, <laughs> give it a go. Because what's the worst that could happen? It'll be a 
complete shit show and I'll be useless and I'll just go back to what I've done before <laughs> in that um in that respect. And I, I do think, yeah. you know, people look at people who are senior and think, gosh, how did you get there? The fact is you get there by making a lot of mistakes and learning from them. I mean, as you know, there's no substitute for experience. The second time you do something, it's a lot easier than the first time. And yeah. the 200th time you do something, God knows it's a lot easier. So I think, you know, it looks like, you know, you get there by trying a lot of things and hopefully more of them are successful than, than not. And also I was very fortunate. And this is why I like to give back a lot in my career. I had some fantastic mentors who looked after me who didn't fire me for making mistakes but helped me learn from them who encouraged me picked me up when I was down and I do think I mean there's a lot more mentorship around now than when I was in my younger part of my career but I think it's massively important and I think you know you guys being coaches I mean you essentially you were doing a lot of mentoring but I think anybody needs to be mentored and anybody needs to mentor. I think we've got a responsibility to give and to take in that um, in that respect because it's been so, so important to me in my in my career as well. Wow, there's so many golden nuggets in there. To any of our young listeners, our aspiring coaches as well, that that's just phenomenal. I mean, LJ and I, we we you know only just before this call, we were speaking to each other about you know we were going to chat through some of our rugby sessions we're doing, pick each other's brains on how to do certain things, you know. And we we mentor each other, you know. We we do that, and and that's how we've developed our friendship from um, being no, crit- critical it's so, friends. It's so key. I think the only other thing I would say, because I think this is about being a senior female, because people look at you and think, gosh, how did you manage that? Because it's not, it's getting much more common, thank God. But when I was, you know, my career, I was mainly, you know, a single female in many teams that I was in. And I think the reality is, you know, I read this book once called Can You Have It All? And by a very senior female. And the, and the reality that for me, and it's different for everybody, I learned that I could have it all, but I couldn't have all of it all. In other words, I had to make some choices. So, yes, I had a senior career. Yes, I had a, I've got a great husband. Yes, I had kids. But, God, I've lost. If you, if you were interviewing my kids here, they'd, they'd say they'd lost count of the number of birthday parties I missed when they were young. Yeah. Because yeah. I was living in Brussels a lot of the time. We moved to the US as a family and my kids kicked up and cried and cried for weeks because they didn't want to go. So, you know, the one thing I never want to do is to imply that that you can make it look easy or have everything or mean there aren't choices. But in the end, the choices we can all make. I didn't have to make those choices. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think one of the important things in one's career is to work out what choices you want to make. It's like with anything. When you buy a house, you've got to decide what's the trade-off you're going to make because you don't find the perfect the perfect house. So do I want a prioritised location or having an extra bathroom or more bedrooms? And it's a bit like that with careers and lives. You know, you've got to make you've got to make some choices. And I think that's the the other important thing is that it's not about big trade-offs, but it, but certainly you've got to, you know, nobody has perfect lives and perfect careers. Well, I certainly don't, and I don't think anybody does. So, you know, you've got to you've got to be clear in your own mind what you want to do but you got you know life's about making choices life's about making sacrifices as well from you know to achieve and I think that you know but some of the big things I just want to go back on you you touched on there was you know um about resilience about responsibility about being curious 
um, yeah. about making mistakes and learning from them. All those things, you know, on our pod, obviously coaching lay bare, we're talking to young females aspiring to be coaches, people, you know, females that are already coaches, people that are involved in rugby, you know, all those, all those words I've just used there, you know, those headlines are what yeah. you need. And most, you know, nearly all the fantastic women we've spoken to, on this pod, all of them, it comes down to basically bloody hard work, grit, determination, not following yeah. your dream and not being afraid of failing because, you know, yeah. and that that's what you exude in, in everything you do, Aileen. So, you know, some real great nuggets there. And I love that being curious because as coaches, we've got to be curious all the time, curious yeah. about how we design new drills, you know, how we can stay ahead of the wave, as Eddie Jones says, you know, to make sure we're ready for the next change in rugby. Um, all the time we've got to be thinking. So they're real good key things you said and I and I love the succinct way you, you spoke about mentors as well you know again all the fantastic women we've spoken to you know they're all saying you know make sure you've got this supportive network around you you know um, males females to, to to support you in what you want to do to achieve so yeah some great I stuff just, there. I know you want to move on but I do think this is a really important area to talk about particularly for women I, I, do, I just want to tell one more short story about um you know, making mistakes, because I think it's so important, because I think in my experience, women in particular are more nervous about that often and won't take as many risks and it holds them back. <clears throat> I made a big mistake once when I was in um, one of my parts of my career. I haven't got time to talk about exactly what it was, but it doesn't really matter. And I lost the company a lot. It wasn't just me. I was in a team. We lost the company a lot of money. And I went to Austria to meet John Mars, billionaire owner of the Mars Corporation, <laughs> And thinking that, you know, I had a one-way plane ticket and I was going to be fired. And if I had been, I wouldn't have challenged it, actually. I'd have thought, it, you know, I'd made a mistake and, you know, it had cost some money and it was his company and his money. And so I went into this room and I sat down with him and he said, oh, well, how are you doing? And I said, well, you know, the first thing I did was I stepped into it, which I think is really important. I said, well, I'm not too great, actually, because I've come here expecting you to fire me. And so then there was this long silence oh, no. <laughs> and, and what he said, it stuck with me for the rest of my life and the rest of my career. He said, I can't afford to fire you. And I thought, Blimey, what do you mean? No, I can't afford not to fire me. I was thinking because, you know, with the amount of money I've cost, cost you. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I can't afford to fire you, he said, because I know that you've learned from that mistake and you won't do it again. Whereas if right. I fire you, I'm, I'll replace you with somebody who hasn't made that mistake and hasn't learned from it, and they might make that mistake. Wow. Now, isn't that an example? I mean, yeah. Actually, and if you analyse it, he was so right, but isn't that an example of wonderful leadership? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I, as I, I was quite junior at the time, and I, then it had a huge influence on me on my rest of my career and how I treated people who made mistakes and how I talked to people about making mistakes and, and whatever. So there are these really important moments one has in one's career. And the, the important thing is to learn from them and to use them to make yourself a better leader, but also then to, you know, teach others as you go through your, your life as well. So sorry to hijack a bit on that. Very important area. Um, yeah. Especially there's a few things there's the first thing I want to talk about is that exactly you know if we I think about how we as coaches operate you know if a player makes a mistake do you sub them off or do you drop them the following week and then if they do you do do that like you've just said what like what is the consequence of it so there's a massive psyche around that for us as coaches like what do we do because if we make a mistake as a coach what what's the consequence um 
And I'm always thinking that, like, personally, when I, after a game, you know, especially when we've lost, I'm like, what did I do? What was my mistake? You know, that ownership of what did I not get right to empower the players to do what they needed to do to, to, you know, win that game. Um, So I think that's a really massive message. Um, And the other thing is the curious thing, too. Um, Again, in our coaching, um, if we if we are limited by what we think people want to see, how are we going to empower our players to be, you know, creative? So true. And I, I learned that really early on. I got knocked back a number of times. Um, I don't. I, I felt like I didn't fit the mold of what people wanted. And actually, now I'm probably gone so far the other way that actually I'm like, well, this is me. This is my personality, and I'm going to try and be the best I can while still being me. And that's being curious and trying to be inventive and and also really caring about the person. So um, yeah, all that I. Yeah, I hear it and I'm feeling it and I'm living it every day in my, my job. So it's so true. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Um, yeah. It's <laughs> brilliant. Great. The, um, the other thing, sorry, I wanted to touch on, you know, you're saying about um, being really open about uh, as a, a female making choices and, and it not always being easy. I think that's another way to encourage women. And again, Bird, you might, might agree on this, encouraging women into rugby. Because, you know, if we want to have families, um, if we if we if we aren't able to explain what that might feel like, like you've already said, your children may have a different outlook on what they experience. So, again, my son's only three and a half, but I've already had to make those tough choices of I left him at six months old because I decided I wanted to go and do this in my career. Um, I went away for a week there, didn't I, when I was working with you, I left him quite early on. No, that was all big moments. And I was thinking, should I do that? But actually I made that choice and maybe maybe he will remember it or maybe he won't. So I think, again, that's really important to talk about as a female and encouraging women into rugby more than anything. So, yeah, they're the two big yeah, things. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So. And I, I think with that as well, though, comes resilience, doesn't it? You know, for the, for the kids as well, you know, they learn that actually, okay, we're going to do something we don't necessarily agree with. Mum doing this, not happy about going there, but actually with that comes life experiences. And as long as you're honest and you, you, you're talking to them about why you're doing it and the reasons for it and giving them the best support they can, you know, that helps and it gives them life experience. Absolutely. And, it's and so resilience, true. So if, you know? if you ask them now... They say it was the best thing that ever happened to them, being exactly. moving to the States. And yeah. when they're being interviewed in, you know, instead of me in 30 years time and somebody says, well, what was what formed your life and your world and, and your experiences? I'm sure they will talk about that as being something that, um, you know, really opened up their lives and their, their thinking and their, their world. Definitely. And travel does that anyway, doesn't it? Whether it yeah, be in this absolutely. country or abroad. Okay. Um, we'll go back into the rugby element as well now, um, Aileen. And um, obviously, being a, a Welsh rugby fan, I won't hold it against Wales, you. Uh, but... Wales! Triple crown! Triple crown! <laughs> sorry, sorry, I got a bit carried away then. Sorry about that. Um, but I just no, wondered right. um, I just wondered if the, there's any lessons, though, particularly in the women's game, that we could learn from the men's game um starting at community into club and then finding international level like is there anything big things that you think we should be learning from and you know we don't have to copy them or we could do it better yeah I mean I think you know the 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 
men's game is so successful because it's been going so long and because it's also joined up. I mean, we argue on the board all the time, Lisa knows about things not being joined up and whatever, but essentially it is. I mean, you know, people are born into rugby and then they go down the club and they do, you know, they, they play tag. And so I think that golden thread that goes through the men's game, that sort of pathway is so well established, we almost sort of forget it's there. And, and I do think that, you know, keeping on working on that in the women's game, so it's really clear to people, where could this lead? How do you do it? Where's the path? You know, because it's not so obvious. It's a bit like when we talk about women haven't got the good role models. It's a bit like that in the pathway. I'm not talking about people now. I'm just talking about not so obvious that the one thing leads to another. And I think it's much better laid out. So I do think we can do a better job of that in women's rugby. However, I do think much more importantly, though, what, what women's rugby needs to continue learning from the men's game is to do things differently from the men's game. I do think there's a lot of resistance to change in the men's game. I mean, the number of conversations I've been in where you know community clubs are more interested in how do they get a second men's 15 and sometimes even a third men's 15 before they have a girls team and a women's team and a disability team and a tag team and I just think that's really chasing after the wrong thing and I think you know one of the great things about the women's game is that people have said we're not going to try and copy the men's game and in fact we have to leapfrog over it to get ahead and I do think it's really part of the responsibility of the women's game is to be leaders of what does the future look like and what does success look like. And I think in a few years time, we're going to find the men's game copying things off the women's game <laughs> even more than the other way around. And I think that's a real responsibility of the women's game is to do that because actually the women's game can do things that the men's game can't in, in some of the new ideas and formats and doing competitions differently and playing at different times of the year and breaking some of those molds that are incredibly difficult um, to break in the men's game. Yeah. The, the, the first thing that springs to mind is the, the fact that we've had to play with, um, so in our league, we've had to play with a slightly different rule set because of COVID. Um, obviously we are being tested now, but, because you know the, the areas that were the most vulnerable to getting uh, infected, they've had to cut them down. So that the scrummage in the mall in, and they've just slightly cut the game time down. Actually, for like on a personal note, we've actually used that to our advantage and upskilled some players into the front row. And then off the back of that, you know, acad the academy um, yeah. set up the the boys, the under 18s They were looking at using that skill that that rule that rule set or laws. Um, so they could get back. But I also think you're missing a trick because you could be upskilling your front row. I totally understand that, you know, when you get into the senior game, there'll be a lot more scrums, but, you know, don't let that be a block. You could use it to your advantage. So that's already one thing I think. Yeah, you know, it's a great example. It's yeah, one, exactly. one way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want us to go back to having more, scrums. you know, the normal, you know, scrums and stuff, but it, we've used it as an advantage. Why make it a block it is what it is. Let's, Let's use it to make us better, you know? So, yeah, that's one Yeah, and there might, might be a format of the game or a different... That, 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 that will, back to your point earlier, LJ, about, you know, curiosity and creativity. You know, if you talk to people who are creative and scientists who've discovered things, 
it's never done in a methodical way or very rarely it's you know as you know there are all the big stories about people discovering things by accident or they're discovered yeah. through adver- adversity that's forced people to find new yeah. things and I so I do think you know who knows what what you know the women's game might be able to you know devise and I think therefore the longevity of the women's game is is potentially much stronger and more secure as a consequence of that yeah and, and um just moving on I mean wow I, we could chat away this all day I can see this is this is going to be a long one here but um in terms of you know your experience Aileen working for Mars which is obviously a global company and you, you think about the women as a, as a brand you know that you, we've touched on a little bit but what, what do you think ha- needs to happen in the women's game because at the moment you know you know for example last year the Six Nations didn't even have a commercial backing we didn't even have someone to support the women's game so so how do you think women's rugby se- could secure more financial backing and and hopefully access mainstream media I know that's a bit of an open-ended question I you know if no, you can answer it's, it this is, then it's challenging yeah, yeah it's challenging and I think I think the first thing that you know you know and and the women's game has made fantastic progress on is we've got to improve keep improving the product yeah and I think, you know, the women's product is unrecognisably better than it was a few years ago, but it needs to be unrecognisably better again in another few years. So, so I think we should never forget that in the end, the product is what sells. But I do think also, you know, we need to think about the experience. I think, you know, there's sometimes I think that men love going along to watch games in the freezing cold and the pouring rain and that whole ex- macho experience is part of it. My view is it doesn't need to be like that. I think there are better ways. You know, the analogy I use is I learned to ski. I don't know if you two are skiers, but I learned to ski in France. And it was horrible. This, and I'm talking sort of 30 years ago now. And because the, the people who ran the ski lifts, those horrible T-bars and button lifts that you used to go off on in those days, they were really hot. They were so easy to fall off. For anybody that doesn't doesn't even know what they are, these these T-lifts and button lifts, I've had many experience on there. And it literally is like a pole that comes down, a moving pole that goes round, and then you've got to sit your bum with skis on, on a little tiny button that wasn't even big enough for my bum. So invariably, if you fall <laughs> off, you've had it because it keeps moving. <laughs> and so, honestly, and, and yes, the guys who did in France, and this isn't an anti-French comment at all, but the, it's just a true story. They would yell at you if you fell off. They'd shout <laughs> at you, and I'm like, "You think I'm doing this deliberately? How do you think that's helping?" <laughs> then I went to ski in the U.S. when we many times because we lived in the U.S. and the experience was so different. When you when you ski up to the lift in the U.S. First thing there is, there's a big box of tissues there because anybody who skis know that the first thing that happens in the cold is your nose is running all the time. They heat the seats on the, on the chairlift and they sweep the snow off them there so they're heated. So you don't get that horrible cold <laughs> bump that you get everywhere else. And those terrible cues that you get when you're waiting for the lifts, what they did in the US was they'd play Trivial Pursuit and they'd come along the queue and they'd ask you Trivial Pursuit questions. And if you got them right, you through to the front of the queue I love it that's brilliant but my point is and I'm sort of drawing the parallel between the the experience that people can have watching rugby it doesn't have to be the French experience in the cold and the rain and the wet with people yelling at you it can be the the Utah as it was experience uh, about and I do think we need to think a bit more creatively about how do we make people want to come to the games to watch 
young people, but it's also about the viewing as well. It's, people don't just want to you know, watch the, the game itself. It's about the whole visual experience. And I do think we need to look at other sports because I think many of them have done a much better job than we have in terms of you know, engaging with people. My final point goes back to something else we've said before, though. I think the big advantage rugby's got, and probably women's rugby even more than the men's, is this selling the values of the game to the broadcasters yeah. and the sponsors, because yeah. they love that. And I think we really just need to keep packaging that up, because I think in this day where corporates want to, you know, make sure that their brands are associated with good values which isn't the case always in all other sports. It's something really that rugby can offer and women's rugby that's very unique. And so I think we really need to focus hard on that in, in terms of selling, selling, the, selling the proposition. Wow. Flipping heck. I'll tell you what, if anybody's listening out here, get, get Aileen in to get the way forward for women's rugby. I'm telling you, she's got some cracking ideas and we need to tap into this woman. Seriously, there's some great stuff going on there. And I think you're right, Aileen. And also with, um, you know, we've all got phones, you know, my phone's here. We all carry our phones. You know, the way sometimes you can get um, people to um, engage on online while they're watching the games as well, you know, listening to the referees, Absolutely. we've got those. But also, you know... Voting, um, voting for staff, having yes. competitions, yeah. you know, that that's what people want to do these days is to engage not just with their eyes looking at the thing on the pitch it's actually that people are so used to having multimedia experiences aren't they yeah, yeah. and uh, you know so I think experience. the good thing is that the the solutions are there and the desire is there it's just we just got to keep working at it and so I'm very optimistic that it'll come but we just need to keep keep at it brilliant we're definitely trying to work hard on making the product even better, aren't we, Bird? Definitely. Day to day, we're definitely trying um, to do that. And doing a good job. Yeah, I know. It's 100%. improving massively, which is so important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask you um, if you can remember, first of all, what was your first, like your first experience of being on the, um, on the board with the WRU? And how, how did you get onto the board like what was the process that got you there because I think that's a lot of people don't know how how you can even you know make that happen yeah well the process because I didn't know either and I was I was still working in the US when it happened and and the process is an interview process just like for any other job actually and fortunately somebody who I knew very slightly back in the UK because I'd never even heard about the the, the role sent me an email and said, by the way, you might be interested in applying for this because I know you're looking to come back to the UK. I know you want to do some non-executive board work. I know you're interested in rugby. And I, I looked at it and went, oh, gosh, don't you understand how busy I am? Don't you understand I don't even have a CV and whatever? And I thought, oh, but it sounds pretty. And don't you understand I'll never get it, being a woman, of course, I'll never get it. Um, but actually, I did apply and went through a whole series of interviews. And um, it was much to my surprise and delight I was offered offered the job so I think you know it's another example for us all it's about being curious finding out what's out there and then you know giving it giving it a go because in the end somebody's got to get it and in luckily in this instance it was it was me and then the other part of your question LJ about what, what was it like joining oh my, my gosh I was so because we, Tim and I we were the first independents that, that they'd had so There'd never been any independents before board members. And of course, I was the first woman. I was like, I have no idea what this is going to be like. And one of the funny stories was I 
picked up because I was in the US. I had to do my induction on the phone. Well, it could have been Skype, but I don't think most of the, most of the Welsh Rugby <laughs> Board members had access to that. <laughs> no offence. So I had to um, do it on the phone. So I rang up one of, one of the board Brilliant. members who will forever remain nameless. And I said, well, I'm, you know, I just like, you know, just want to introduce myself and I want to find out about the board before I start. And this I did, was a he, because they were all he's, of course. He said, he said, and it was classic, he said, well, I'm not so against having a woman, he said, but it's, it's, I just don't understand why we need people who've got business experience. So, I mean, that was just, I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, God. So I went into it with some trepidation, but it was completely unnecessary, actually, because people were incredibly welcoming. And Lisa's been through this same experience, too. People were incredibly welcoming. Yeah. Yeah. And, a, and it's like any new job. As long as you approach it seeking first to understand and you approach it with, you know, two ears and one mouth and build some trust and some confidence, you have got something to add. But, that, you know, that's no different from anything that's new in that, um, in that respect. Very quickly, you become accepted and people are interested in, in what you have to say and to do and to, and to offer. So it was actually much easier than I thought it was going to be, but I was very um uncertain as you can imagine when I yeah. when I started out on this journey and what, and what was the size of the board back then Aileen oh it was 20 wow. 20 on the board well not and 19 men and me <laughs> so. it's amazing and would you have to have would you have like meetings where you'd all be together and you'd be yeah them and you <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, it wasn't them and me. And to be honest, I'd al I already said earlier that I'd spent a lot of my career being the only, the only female. So I mean, that that unfortunately was quite normal for, yeah, for me. So they were not a novelty to me. I was a novelty to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that respect. So. But it's about it's about grasping that chance as well, though, isn't it? You know, not being afraid. Like yeah. there hadn't been a woman before on the board, but you were like, well, I'm just going to go for it, you yeah. know, because. Yeah, why wouldn't, Lisa, why wouldn't Lisa's I go been for fantastic it? at that? I mean, she was the first elected member and, you know, which in in many ways is, is much harder way to get in than being appointed. And you've just grasped, grasped up and said, you're an absolute role model of mine in that. Well, let's give it a whirl. Who knows what will happen? <laughs> you know, here you are, you're on the board, first elected member, you're the vice chair. So, you know, just, just shows, yeah. isn't it? I think you just got to you've just got to go for it and back yourself. And, and like you said, you've got, you know, two ears and a mouth and a lot of things are common sense in life and um, not be, not be put off. And it takes all different people. That's why, you know, we've got a really diverse board now and people bring different skills and that's what's important in life. Not being afraid, yeah, you know, absolutely. if you believe in something absolutely. to back yourself, but again, rugby's values yeah, always. And what's the worst that can happen? That what's can the happen. worst that can happen? <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, that's, that's the way I, I look at it. 100%. I, lo I love that. What's the worst that can happen? I love it. You just got to go for it in life. Um, so where, where do you feel, Aileen? You know, this is a bit of a bit of a question, but um, where do you feel your um, influence has created the greatest change in Welsh rugby? Yeah, I suppose that's probably a better question for other people than me. But I, I think where I've, where I've endeavoured and worked hard to try to bring about change and you can never bring out as much as you hope. I'm coming towards the end of my tenure and you look back and think, 
gosh, you know, you never managed to do as much as you wanted to, which is why you've got to hand on to great people coming after you. I think is really in driving the modernization of the game, making it more commercially successful, driving better governance, because this is a game that, you know, not many years ago was an amateur game and is now a hundred million pound business. And that's happened pretty quickly. And so there's bits of that that needed help with catching up. So I think I've worked a lot in that area. I've worked very passionately to improve the diversity and I'm really, it's not where it needs to be, but I'm really proud that we now have three women on the board yeah, And, you know, we've worked on BAME, we've worked on disability. So, I mean, I, I feel really, really happy that, you know, we've moved there. But but as usual, you know, we've got to do more. It's, you know, it's not enough to look backwards and look where we've come from. We've got to look forwards about where we're going to. But I'll leave it in Lisa's and Amanda's and now Kat's safe hands to to do that. And I think the other thing, I think the reason it's important, it was back to you know, what you said, LJ, about having a different perspective and curious and having different things externally and what you talked about, Lisa, in terms of traveling. I think, you know, I've brought in different perspective and different experiences. And I think, you know, that's really important because it enables people to raise the bar. We all need to help each other raise the bar on what good looks like. And nobody knows where that bar is unless you bring in different views. You know, you go down to the lowest common denominator and that is really dangerous. And that's why you need to bring in new views and new experiences, because that's the only way you know where excellence is and know what good looks like. And so I think in some small way, I hopefully I've helped to, you know, shine a light on, you know, what what does good look like? And, you know, uh, we've always got to be striving for something, something better from, from that point of view and what's possible. Well, I think you've made a massive influence on Welsh rugby, certainly with my time being on the board. Um, I know you've been there for six years, but gosh, you've, you've, you've had a huge impact on me and you remain an inspiration to me. So thank you for what you've done there, Aileen. But I know LJ, LJ is, I can see she's buzzing to ask another question. <laughs> I am buzzing to ask another question, but I just want to say, honestly, all the advice is so relevant, you know, for a young female not that I'm, I'm not saying I'm young. I'm just meaning young females. <laughs> you know, You're wanting to be young. Where I'm sitting, I tell you, I can assure you. <laughs> you look young, but, Honestly, it's so, everything you're saying is so, like, I wish I knew this when I was 20. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I would have been so different now. But yeah, it's so relevant. Um, and I suppose it ties in quite nicely with the next kind of question is, what um, advice do you have for any females who've got a passion for rugby um, and who want to keep driving that change in the game. Um, and, you know, they don't have, it doesn't have to be through playing, could be coaching, refing, volunteering at their local club. Like, what would your advice be to them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think there's a theme coming out here, isn't there, from all of us, because I think we all have a similar view is, you know, just get on and do it. I mean, you, the great thing about sport and particularly sport that's run by volunteers, which effectively rugby is include, you know, I'm a volunteer on the board is that the biggest difference in rugby often happens from the bottom up. People look at the top and they say, Oh, well, you know, you know, you're driving the strategy, but actually the strategy can be driven just as much at the, at the club level. In fact, has to be because we can sit on the board and talk about having, you know, women's rugby or women's teams, but you don't get women's teams unless somebody's coming along to a club and setting up a woman's team or a girl's team yeah. or whatever. And so actually 
you know, just step into where you can, get involved where you can, um, and then you will find your way. And, you know, there is a, a way that people can, you know, work their way through to if they want to get involved in the, the senior levels of the game and the governance. But I don't think that's where the most influence often is. Most influence is the closer you are to people on the pitch, the closer you are to the clubhouse, the closer you are to the community, the bigger the influence you'll make on rugby in the end, much more than somebody yeah. sitting in the boardroom like me. I mean, I really believe that, you know, I mean, I'm a community club member, but it's like everything in life. If you're, you know, selling Mars bars, the closer you are to your consumer, the bigger the difference is going to make. And it's absolutely true in rugby. So, you know, if you're not sure where to find your way in, find it in the clubhouse, the community and the pitch, because you're not going to go far wrong and then work it out from, from there, I guess would be my advice. Perfect advice. <laughs> That's, That's how I got into rugby. You know, my dad was the family. My dad uh, used to go along to well, greatest team in the world, Leicester Tigers. Oh! Then, <laughs> one of one of them. Dragons, <laughs> dragons. And then from and then from that, I know I didn't even know women could play rugby. And then from that, through a friend of a friend, I found out my local team had a women's team, and that was it. I got involved. So, just like you say. Just do it, make it happen, go along. Yeah. Yeah. So and there isn't a team start one. Yeah. There wasn't 100%. a lacrosse team when I got to my university. So I started a lacrosse team, you know. And so Brilliant. Love it. In that it wasn't a very good lacrosse team, mind, because I think I was the only one who'd ever played before, but it didn't <laughs> matter in the end, did it? You know, so but the message there is don't let anything stop you, isn't it? If you really feel passionate and want to do something, do it. I think that's the, that's the biggest advice to everyone. Yeah, and I think the only thing I would add is if you do want to be influential in the more sort of, I guess, a senior in that sense of um, levels of the game, I would get involved in positions at the club because one of the things that frustrates me is I see women having a massive influence in the clubs and doing a massive amount of work, but often they don't take positions on the committee. And if they do take positions on the committee, they don't take positions that have got names like chair or president or, and you need to take those positions. We need to take those positions because those are then how you get elected to the district. And that's then how you get elected onto the board. So those positions are for everybody. There's nothing mystical. We're going to talk about a board that I chair. There's nothing mystical about chairing a board. Every, you know, it's just another thing that people do. And, and, you know, and I think we need to break down some of those barriers and for, for women. So if you want to take that, if you don't want to take that route, that's fine. But if you do want to take that route, you've got to be courageous. What's the worst that could happen? And say, <laughs> I want to stand to be chair of this club and get on with it. And you'll be brilliant, I'm sure, because we've got, we need more examples. We've got some great examples, but we need more role models in that area, in my view. Brilliant. Great advice to all our listeners out there. Listen and, and go do it. Go do it. And, and talking about chairs, Aileen, you just become chair of the new cricket team, Welsh Fire. Um, just can you tell us a little bit about that role and the setup there? But also um, the second part of the question is, you know, what can rugby learn from other sports? Just be interested in your views on that. Well, I ought to clarify, I've just become chair of the board, not of the team, in case somebody expects to see me with oh, my yeah. um, pads, <laughs> pads on out holding the bat. So uh, <laughs> that would be very disappointing if we want to win any games. But, um, I love yeah. that. 
so yeah I don't you know how many of the listeners like cricket but there's a lot of crossover often between rugby and cricket and people who like rugby often like cricket too and and that's certainly the case for case for me and there's a new format in cricket called the hundreds and it's called that because it's a it's a short game format where there's a hundred balls being each team balls bowls a hundred balls so it's short and it's based around cities and the reason it's based around cities is because they're absolutely we're absolutely determined to improve the inclusivity and to bring people from inner city into the game and improve the diversity and improve the fact that cricket's a game for all because it's not seen that way often, a bit like rugby, sometimes rugby isn't. And to make it much more a youth game and a game for kids. And I think, so I think it's a fantastic format. It was due to start last year, but like so many things, it got postponed because of, of COVID. So we've, we've got the first, it's a short competition. It takes place over six weeks. And there's a men's team and a women's team, and they're both being treated very equally. We're having back-to-back fixtures, and they're they're being played in a lot of city centres around the UK. So it'd be great to see you or some of your listeners um, there at some of the games in July and August. Back to what I think. I think rugby can learn a lot from other sports, and I think rugby is quite insular mm. as a sport. I don't think yeah. it looks outside enough to other sports mm. to take learning. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't even look outside its own country, and I think Wales can be guilty of this, to look at how rugby happens in other countries, never mind other sports. And so I do think it is one thing that we do need to do better. And I think one of the things that cricket in particular has done, I think a lot of American sport, uh, I think there's a lot to learn from American sport in terms of fan engagement, in terms of the fan experience, in terms of social media, I think there's a lot to learn from football in terms of social media. I think what people can learn from cricket, and it's one of the reasons I love cricket, is I think it's got so many different formats that it's there's a place, there's a yeah. home for everybody in cricket. You know, however bad you are, and trust me, I'm bad at all sport, I would find <laughs> a home in cricket much more easily than I'd find a home in rugby. And I think we need to hold up the mirror and ask why is that? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in terms of they were much quicker than rugby in terms of having, you know, 2020s, one day games, different lengths, different formats, you know, disability. And I think we're doing a much better job now, but I think they are and getting into in, inner cities. And so I think um, that's I think there are some things to learn. But I think the general lesson and it is back to curiosity. So many things in life come back to curiosity. Mm. If you've got a problem, I used to say to people who worked for me. I said, I need more people who work for me who are less innovative and better, more detectives and less innovators, I used to call it. And what I meant by detectives, I said, every problem has been solved in this world, probably. You've just got to go and find out who solved it. And that's the detective. <laughs> it's not about reinventing everything all of the time, because if you reinvent it, you probably haven't learned them back to mistakes, the, the mistakes that the last person made. Go and find out which sport does this best go and find out which women's team does this best go and find out which country does this best and then just steal with pride <laughs> and we used to give an award in my department in my team in, in my, about the, the people who stole with pride best to make the point that it's great to steal great ideas from other people um, rather than inventing them and I just think that's one of the things that you know we should learn and I think the fantastic thing for women's rugby because Back to what we talked about before, there's less sort of 
boundaries and less tradition and less people saying, oh, we have to do it this way. And I think let's just go out and steal all the best ideas in sport around the world and make it a, a badge of pride to steal things and adopt the best of them to make our make ourselves as women's rugby the best sport that that, that there is. Wow. Again, some cracking ideas there and some great advice. Uh, Else, did you want to say something there? Yeah, I just echo in that. I think we could definitely look at, like, cricket has so many formats and, like, rugby just in general. It's such a confusing (laughs) set. You know, if you're a kid trying to learn, especially as you start moving into the contact side of things, could we make it simpler? Ultimately, it's, you know, catch, pass, run, kick. You know, let's make it a little bit simpler for them and encourage those find formats that encourage those skills I think that's definitely something we could do like again going back to what we've currently gone through you know that this skill set that we've uh, sorry rules that we've been following because of COVID we've seen way more you know the game's quicker a lot more um, running rugby because you can only maul in certain areas of field it's like some some of the games have been unreal yeah absolutely like skill level has gone up as well so I think why why are we limiting ourselves I totally agree mm-hmm. so much so yeah I, I love the, the fact going back to those formats as well you're talking about cricket I mean I, I remember playing in London when they did beach rugby but they brought the beach to the inner cities so um you know there were loads of like you know these big vehicles would turn up and then all all, all in front of you was a sand pitch and it was just fantastic. It was absolutely ex- exhausting yeah. and pretty knackering playing on sand. But it was, the engagement was fantastic. And kids were throwing themselves around, you know, running with the ball. It, it, they were loving it. And that was actually brought... But yeah, I agree with you, Aileen. More of that, more innovation, you know, adapting the game to, so it suits everyone, gets out there, catches people's, you know, enthusiasm and wanted to try it in, in a different way. And, and from yeah, that... And, be a game, and, and provide a game for everybody. Yeah, you know, 100%. What, what would what does rugby need to do to make sure there's a game for everybody there you know yeah in, so everybody can participate because i think that should be our aspiration and our dream 100 percent, definitely <laughs> less rules <laughs> to help i think sometimes but mm-hmm. there we go yeah i think you're right probably you know that ultimately people what you know you're watching that game at the top level you want to get new viewers in they're like why is he blowing his whistle? I don't know what's going on. Yeah, you know? I've no, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that's the first thing I think. You know, could we make it? I know they're trying to make it safer for player welfare. That's probably going to make it easier, anyway, isn't it? You know, look at your rule set. But mm. anyway, we digress on that one. No, I, I think no, no, no. I think it's, good. it's a great point. Um, I think we might know the answer to this because you're saying of what's the worst could happen. I'm taking that into next week at training. Um, but what would be your one? <laughs> what would be your one tip you could give a young person looking to succeed, just in anything they want to succeed in? I, I mean, I think we've covered this ground, and I think it's just take the first step. I mean, we overcomplicate things. I love the way you, Algeria, you're talking just now about making things simpler. We overcomplicate everything, and what career do you have and what, what path do you want to take? Just do the first thing and see what happens. You know, mm-hmm. all you have to do is go through the first door and then, you know, be, go through the first door with a mentality of asking anything and trying anything and see what happens. You know, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. It really, it really doesn't in my, in my experience. And we love to complicate it okay. for some reason. <laughs> 
we really do love to complicate things in life most definitely mm, um, yeah we do <laughs> and then that leads me on to um what is your next big goal that you would like to achieve and it doesn't have to be work related it could be anything in life yeah well i think it's a bit like when you ask the question about what's your one you know biggest experience that life is not like that for me I'm a some I'm a person of, of little experiences that add up into something big so I, you know so I have lots of little goals and they end up being you know a big wonderful roller coaster of an experience so I think some of my little goals that I have going forward is that I want well I've got one big one but I, but my little ones for myself <laughs> is I want to um, spend I have a big passion about demonstrating and helping show that business can be a force for good in the world there's a lot of people who think big business is bad and the enemy and is terrible and should be closed down and I, I don't believe that and I don't think it needs to be like that and so I want to on the boards I'm on keep demonstrating that actually if you run business, a business well and you treat people well and you develop people and you care for them you can make a big difference by giving great jobs how do you make the biggest difference to a community and to people by providing great jobs for them and it, can, yeah. it really changes people's lives. And so I, uh, that's my um, ongoing goal, I guess, to keep working harder and harder at that and to making little changes that add up to big changes in that, in that area. I've got a passion to, for the homeless and for people who are hungry. I mean, a passion in the sense of trying to eradicate it. So I want to spend more time volunteering in that area and trying to make a bigger difference I lead a I have a very privileged life and it's not okay that people have privileged lives allow people to be homeless and hungry it's just not you know it's just back to values it cuts across my values so so I want to continue to spend more time more passion in that area and I guess I did say I had one big one and that's that I want the men to win the next rugby world cup in 2023 that's the big goal and for the women, <laughs> we postponed a, it's been postponed a year, so we've got more time to be ready to be semi-finalists Whoa. in the next Women's <laughs> Rugby World Cup. That's the goal. That's the goal. Loving uh, that. That's what gonna, I can't influence that one very easily, but that's my big goal and my, my passionate goal and my hope, I suppose, in that, um, in that sense. You are a truly humble and inspirational woman, Aileen. It's just been such it's just been such an honour to chat to you. It really, really has. And and your yeah. values are so pure and honest. And that's you as a person. I know you. I have the privilege of knowing you. Um, and it, it's just been a thank you. It's just been a real honour to listen to you. Uh, and all our all I've our listeners. It. Thank you. Our listeners out there as well. My God, there's so many golden yeah. nuggets, Alj, we can take yeah. from you. Yeah. First one is, can I come and work for you? I don't care what it's doing. <laughs> I'll leave coaching rugby just to work in your company, whatever it is. Well, <laughs> it's but no, but that, but it's thank you very much because that's mm-hmm. sort of thing's important to me. But in the end, it's so important that when I recruit people a lot, and we've been doing some recruitment recently, and the most important reason I judge when I'm interviewing somebody is I say, would I work for that person? And it's a great test yeah. to make, you know. And I and I wrote down somebody I interviewed recently. I said it was much it was much more junior. It wasn't in rugby. It was in something completely different, a very junior role. And I said I would work for that person. Wow. Yeah. And so we should recruit them. And I think it's a great test, actually. Yeah. Oh, Jane, life. It is really good. <laughs> and again, that, I think that's really good for you know if you're a coach and you're looking at your team, like, do you want that person playing for you? Like, doesn't mm. 
doesn't always have to be the best player, but do you want them to play for you? You know, mm. it's a really good way. Of absolutely. Looking. Absolutely. And some of those simple questions and tests, they, 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 the great thing about them is that, you know, the, I think the thing that we're learning through this conversation, including me, is how much of this is, is transferable. These yeah. skills and thoughts and values, they, they're not about yeah. business or about sport or about rugby. They're about life. Yeah, yeah, and and that's why they're so useful. Some of these lessons that I and I, you know, trust me, I've pitched all these from other people and also learned them the hard way, all of them. But mm. um, you know, they're they're great life lessons that one can that transfer across everything you do, from bringing up kids to playing sport to having a successful career or marriage or whatever it is. And that's why they're so valuable for all of us in that respect. Oh, wow. I could literally listen for oh, yeah. another hour, but I know we could as well. stop at some point. Sorry. <laughs> wow, it's honestly brilliant. We're gonna Aileen, before you go, we're just gonna finish with some quick fire questions um from our Oh yeah, I've forgotten. Yeah, we, yeah. we love doing I've this. tried to make them quite relevant, so I think you I hope you appreciate them. <laughs> um so I give you a choice and you and you and Bird, you just shout out which one you want, okay? Okay. So I'm going to start with an easy one. Um, Mars or Maltesers? Maltesers. Mars. A nice cold Mars bar. I love it. Yeah, got it. Could you bite, bite the chocolate out from the outside of the pip and then eat the pip and the inside the Malteser? Oh, yummy. Yeah, I love I like, Malteser. Yeah. I like blow, lying on your back and blowing them up in the air. Have you tried that? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not very good at that. Yeah. <laughs> I do like Mars bars too, though. Yeah. Um, the next one's a bit more controversial. Um, celebrations or a massive bar of dairy milk? Dairy milk. <laughs> celebrations every time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> only, well, only because there's choice. I love the thing I love about celebrations, and of course, when you get to my age, which you guys are miles off, you've got to be a bit <laughs> no. more careful about how much chocolate you eat and the quantity. So things that are in small portions. <laughs> where I can portion control is much more appealing too because when I start a bar of chocolate and ga- it would be galaxy not dairy milk if I was eating it but I find it hard to stop once I started so <laughs> Do you, would you ever eat dairy milk or would just never just never yes. happen you would yes, I would eat it <laughs> No, no, I would I'm, I'm very truthful but I wouldn't eat it if I had an alternative like galaxy Okay, but if that, if, you know, if it was the last chocolate bar on earth, I, I'd fight for it. <laughs> <laughs> <Any> milk. <laughs> um, okay, it. next one is tea or coffee? Coffee. <laughs> that is hard. Ah. I, I think you'd go coffee. I thought you would as well. Well, I'm I'm caffeine intolerant actually, so I only oh, have no. oh, no. decaf. I only drink decaf <laughs> coffee. And so I only drink coffee in the mornings, and then I switch to tea. I think if I could only have one for the rest of my life, which is really the question, I think it would have to be tea. Isn't that sad? Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's very because sad. It comes in so many different formats. <laughs> yeah, you know. Coffee. Yeah. So I'm sorry to sorry to let you down there, girls. But I think how do you how did you cope reluctantly? How did you cope working in the companies? Because you work for the company um, Jacob. I forget the full name of it. Jacob Dowick, but Dowick, Dowick, that's it. Yeah. Sorry, I can't even say. I, 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 I struggled. I struggled, Alge, as well. Don't I worry. Know. I know. <laughs> no, I'm still. I, it's not that I didn't did work for them. I still do. I'm on their board. <laughs> How do you? Yeah, do you not have like their coffee? coffee? <laughs> that, 
Do you drink I have their decaf coffee? Oh, I do. Okay. I have their decaf coffee and I drink their tea as well. So that's my get out of jail card. Okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. okay the next the last the last one's a double one. Okay. Oh. So uh Wales, who's gonna win? Wales or Italy and by how much? Mm. Wales. Well, the first the first part's easy. It's obviously Wales. <laughs> and it's whether we get our four tries and our bonus point in the first half or the second half. Mm. Okay, let's go with that then. Where first half or second half? That, that's a good one. I like that. Where are you going to get your bonus point? First half or second half? Ooh, I uh, <clears throat> first. No, I, I, I I'm going to go first. I'm going to go first because I, only because unusually for Wales, we've been very quick out the blocks this year mm. in the Six Nations, and we've we've got a lot more points in our first halves than we sometimes do. So I'm going to go first half as well. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't wait for when Italy beat Wales and I can <laughs> and be like, unlucky. Italy, Italy get their Come bonus on. point in their first half. Yeah. Come <laughs> on, LJ. <laughs> Won't you on Saturday? That is not going to happen. <laughs> that is not going to happen. No way. No, no. chance. Wales would beat Italy. No <laughs> Yes, 100%. Loving it. Oh, my God. That's, that was brilliant. Some good questions there. Aileen, thanks a million. It's, it's yeah, been an you. absolute pre- pleasure. It really has. Um, so, so guys, you know, um, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to hear more, just visit rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button to visit the women's section. Thanks all again to everybody. Keep yourself safe and well. And um, looking forward to seeing you all next time. Thanks again, Aileen. Thank you. Thanks, thank thanks you, for having me. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.